Welcome to the first ever podcast episode of Purpose on Purpose, Overcoming Adversity and Creating Resiliency. I'm your host, along with Christy Grease. My name is Dario Herrera, and we're going to really be diving into the idea of resiliency and how every opportunity in our life that presents a challenge or uh, seemingly at some point is overcomable or unovercomable, I should say, um, is really a path to resiliency, a path to being challenged and growing in a way that maybe we didn't think was possible to grow into and lean into. So uh, Christy and I have been friends and colleagues now for over two years. Uh, we'll get into our story about how we met uh, on a probably a, a later episode. But today, I just want to kind of jump right into this. Christy, tell me what purpose on purpose means to you. Well, thank you for leading us today. And I'm so excited about our first podcast, Purpose on Purpose. When we were really thinking about what the name should be, um, this came up because I think both of you and you and I are really seeking to have a purpose-filled life. And for me, that means that we were created as living beings to by purpose, on purpose. So we have a purpose for being here on this earth. I think everybody individually um, is learning what that is. And we were created on purpose by God. And so I think it's just a really interesting topic. And I, there are so many different individuals that I've come across in my just walk on earth that seem to have found their purpose and live on purpose and really live with an intentionality uh, for serving a higher good um, or that purpose. And so it's it's what came up for, for us to, to speak on. Yeah, and I struggled with that, honestly. You know, when I was younger, uh, I got into politics at an early age. You know, I was basically 22 when I ran for office and I thought that was my life's purpose. And I experienced some incredibly quick success. I ascended very quickly. And then uh, I'll get into this a little bit more, had a meteoric downfall. And when I was out of politics, I struggled with what my purpose was. Uh, here I was, someone who had been talked about at someday being a governor or United States Senator. I got elected to the state assembly at a young age and a county commissioner, chairman of the county commission. And that identity um, all of a sudden, and it was a self-imposed stripping of it, uh, a, a self-sabotage at a miraculous level to really derail me from what I thought was my life's purpose. And I was, you know, grasping. I remember waking up the day after I lost my election for Congress and, and wondering and crying in bed, you know, with this deep depression, wondering, okay, if I'm not chairman of the county commission, if I'm not a candidate for Congress, if I'm not in public life, like, who am I? Exactly. Right. What am I going to do? What's my purpose? And that was 20 years ago. And I'm still working on, you know, finding my purpose. And uh, some days I feel really aligned to it and really close to it, you know, especially when I'm doing the social good work that I do. Uh, part of it with Mickey's Miracles and, and other, you know, service oriented projects. And, and some days I feel kind of disconnected from that. And I, I still have that question, like, you know, what my purpose is. So, for me, purpose on purpose is represents the journey, right? And, and understanding that and giving ourselves permission to have that be malleable, right? And have that, you know, our purpose is gonna be different as we evolve through life. You know, I'm finding 
a lot of great purpose now in being a father, right? And reconnecting to my youngest son, who I haven't always had the strongest connection with, uh, to be candid, uh, really guiding my oldest son as he embarks on his you know, journey towards manhood as you know he's about to turn 20. And then certainly being, you know, the kind of man that would be happy for my daughter to date. You know, she's 17 now and she's going to be a senior in high school next year. Right. So I'm finding a, a ton of purpose in that and and being worthy of being a good partner, you know, to, to someone I recently got engaged. And, <laughs> and, I'm, it. Yes. <laughs> and I'm finding uh, a lot of purpose in, in perfecting you know, myself as a partner uh, and to serve, right? To serve my children, serve my my life partner and my friend. And uh, and I'd love to hear kind of your evolution too, because, you know, I know you as a mom, right? And I know you as a fierce advocate that, you know, created Mickey's Miracles, a, for those of you who don't know, a pediatric epilepsy organization that's a global that helps uh, families get to level four pediatric epilepsy centers with urgency to help children um, survive really and, and and enjoy a quality of life that they may not otherwise get to enjoy, but for Mickey's Miracles advocacy. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. What, what's been kind of your journey uh, for finding purpose? Well, just, I just want to follow up on what you're saying. I think overall what I've learned is that purpose is dynamic, not static. So as we evolve and grow and get to these different levels of our evolution, God, and you know, from my perspective, God reveals a new purpose. So, for instance, Mickey's miracles that you've spoken to um, is one aspect of me, and really, that was a journey of almost losing my three-month-old daughter. Started seizing, and we went on this journey to save her life. And thankfully, we got to the right hospital and the right doctor, and they did brain surgery to save her life and, and stop her from seizing. And so, I found purpose. In, in that journey. And, and really it was about me coming home and saying, God use me. And the next thing I knew, all these families started coming to me. And so I found a mission in, in that, in, in helping other families and taking a tragic experience that I had and using it for good. And that was a really important part of my life. But now I'm, you know, I've been doing this for about seven. Mickey, you'll be seizure free now. Uh, it's been eight years. She's nine years old. And I'm finding God's putting new passions in my life and new opportunities to serve um, even beyond pediatric epilepsy, which is amazing. And I, and I spent a lot of time in prayer saying, God, use me. Where do you want me? I want to be in your will. And, in, you know, when I look back on my life, there's been significant events that have shaped me. So specifically, you know, from a very young age, I was bullied. I mean, I re recall being bullied probably starting in third grade. Wow. And um, it was just a very, very traumatic experience. It never seemed to stop. Um, we moved and I got bullied again um, to the point where I was jumped in a locker room in, in eighth grade. And um, I fought to defend myself and you may not think that I look tough, but I'm pretty strong and, um, and no, then I cool. the end, I was pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't throw a deodorant bottle at me in a locker room and jump me in and think I'm not going to stand up for myself and, and, um, and defend myself. And then I got detention. I got Saturday school for, for defending myself. I thought my life, you know, I was in danger. And so the mixed messages that went on and, you know, really that, that little girl who was bullied, 
I still carry her with me today. And I think that that, that because that happened to me, I am so loyal and I'm, I'm a defender of those, um, and you'll see this in my advocacy work with pediatric epilepsy and rare diseases, I defend the vulnerable because I was there and I know what that feels like. Um, other things that happened to me in my life, in particular, you know, losing my father and three months of, of cancer um, comes up for me um, and, and really feeling that sense of losing somebody and not having control. And then again, that happened to me um, with, with, um, with Michaela. And then my parents divorced, you know, that taught me a lot about relationships and, and how you have to fight for them and um, how you have to know who you are going into a relationship and you, you don't stop fighting. So there's been lots of different things that have happened to me that I think have taught me lessons on, on my purpose and why I'm here. And, and I think the most important thing is that it's not about us, that we're here on this planet to learn and to grow, but we're here to serve others and to take the difficult experiences that have come you know, our way and to learn from them, grow from them, and then pass those lessons on. Hence why we're here uh, doing Purpose on Purpose. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I think I love to unpack a little bit because that's a lot right and i know something about you that i hadn't heard before you know i never would have thought that you were someone who was uh subject to being bullied you know uh you're so strong and not that people who are bullied aren't strong obviously uh you know different adversities shape us in different ways uh, but i never would have guessed that so uh it, it's it's incredible. We've known each other for quite some time. We've become pretty close, you know, in our work with Mickey's Miracles and as friends and partners. And, you know, it's it's really interesting uh, to get that perspective. But kind of there was two things underlying, you know, what you said. One is, you know, and I heard this very clearly, you know, points of adversity, right? Uh, whether it was losing your father or having to figure out, you know, make sense of relationships as your parents, you know, divorced or you know, having to make sense of how you had this beautiful little girl that you couldn't figure out what was wrong with and having that fear and wanting to control, but knowing that you had to have faith and let go at the same time. Yeah. Right. So how did, I guess the question I want to ask is, you know, how did you deal with that adversity? You know, how did, how did you get through it? You know, I know faith is an important part of it, of course, but I, I, I kind of going to want to get underneath that a little bit and, and into, you know, what kept you moving, you know? I think we all inherently have something about our personalities that make you the way you are. And I've always just naturally been an achiever, you know, a box checker. Yeah. Um, I've learned, you know, lately that it's important to do a heart check than a box check and and that's really digging into you know where is this coming from as opposed to being perfect that's a tweetable moment by the way you know <laughs> heart check that uh, check i love that that's amazing and, and as my you know one of my favorite authors and uh Brene brown says you know i'm a recovering perfectionist and and I think all of that kind of stemmed from that early age, the trauma from being incessantly bullied for so many years. 
And I know what fear feels like when you're scared to walk the halls because girls are going to come put gum in your hair. And uh, I've had some really close relationships. I think one thing is having your tribe around you. Mm-hmm. My number one fan was always my mom. So she always came from the perspective, like, you handle what you need to handle. And when you can't handle it, you come to me. And um, and so I think that I remember that time I handled it, I handled it. And then when I got Saturday school for defending myself, my mom was definitely at the principal's office going, what kind of message are you sending her um, for this to happen? And so I remember having, I've always had some like really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it, may, it may have been one at the time, but still to this day, I mean, I have some, you know, not, it's never been this big, huge circle, but one or two like homies that just are there for you and you can share your, you know, your, your fears and your concerns and you know that you're loved by them no matter what. And they, in particular, I have two friends, um, three friends that are in my mind from childhood, my Rebecca and Lisa, who just loved me for who I was. They saw that I was a child of God. They saw the goodness in me and, um, and they believed in me even when I, all this stuff was happening. So I think having that, um, and then just this internal desire that did probably fuel my perfectionism in life. You know, that, 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 like, I'm just not accepted. You just don't know me. So I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to strive so hard to be perfect. And then they'll like me, then they'll accept me and they don't be good enough. And now I know, through my work and my prayers and, and my time with God that um, I don't need to do anything to earn that anybody's you know validation. Uh, God loves me just the way I am, the way he created me. And, and I don't have to, to do good deeds to earn that. And, and I really, that is one message that it feels so important because whether you're 12 years old or you're 52, I think that that's something that, you, that if you don't deal with, yeah. that not good enough part um you, you there'll always be this search for you know if i do this if i do that then i'll be enough so having that 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 support system even though it was small it was like my mom and and you know a couple good friends you know that carries you through some of the deepest darkest times i mean i remember i'll remember you know, my dad dying and my friend Rich coming over at, to my house and he just held me and he didn't say anything. He just was there for me. And I think the deeper and the more difficult the situation, the more you just want your friends in your life not to say anything, but just be there, you know, whether for a, as long as it takes, you just be there and you don't say anything and you just listen and you support. And I've had some people do that in my life and that's really gotten me through now i'm so blessed to have a life partner um gabe who is just my rock and you know dolled up not dolled up yoga pants um ugly to your face like it doesn't matter he he just holds me high and and there's the one side where he holds me to my greatest potential but in the other side he just accepts me where i'm at and um i think you know the more as life has gone on, I've learned more about who Christy is. And I've also developed a closer relationship to God. And I know my truth now. So nothing anybody says 
even though I'm sure as you've seen, you know, when you, you know, there's going to be critics out there and the, the more you put yourself out there in the, in the limelight, in the arena, you're going to be attacked and, and it's, and it really should be, um, there should be an acceptance and a knowing when you know yourself that even though it still hurts, um, you can, you can have that moment and then you can recognize, no, this isn't about me. You know, this is somebody else's opinion about me and something about me is causing a reaction in them. You know, I just want my life's message and the things that I've learned to, to be a gift for others and whoever that, 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 that it, it resonates with, please take it. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Right. I love the idea, I love the idea that, you, that you, special or extraordinary to be And I think it was Brene Brown that said, Hey Dario, your audio is cutting out. It is. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you're maybe, I don't know what your hand, I don't know what's maybe covering up the microphone or something. There's nothing near the mic, but uh, I haven't changed anything from the beginning. It did get weird all of a sudden. I know it, it did. Feedback. How about now? Keep talking. Can, I, can you hear me now? Is it okay now? Yeah. Try turning down your computer volume. Is that better? Yep. Okay. Keep talking. Is that better? Hi, Russ. How are you? Hi, Dario. Sorry for this interruption. You're so handsome with that haircut. The sunshine is coming through, huh? <laughs> I don't know if I should move. It makes you look like an angel. Oh, I'll just sit forward. Don't slouch for it, though. Okay. All right, so are we good then, Russ? Yeah, we'll keep going. Okay. All right, there's two things that I want to unpack there. One is, and, and I want to touch upon this because I think it's incredibly important, and I want all our listeners to hear this very clearly. Like, we don't have to do anything extraordinary to be worthy. Exactly. Like being worthy, being valuable is a birthright. And I think that's, I'm paraphrasing Brene Brown, but you touched upon that in, in your uh, answer. And, and that's important, you know, and it's something that I still struggle with. The idea of being worthy. It's and, an everyday, you know, it's an everyday, you know, and I think another aspect to being purposeful is, is being aware. You know, just being aware of these moments and taking a step back, you know, you kind of you become a cloud and you look down on yourself and you're, okay, what? No, this isn't, this is a lie that I've told myself for years and years and years. And it's a lie. It's not my truth. I'm a child of God. I am worthy. I am whole. And like you said, it's an act of just the fact that we're here on this planet is an act of love that God loved us that much that, you know, he, he brought us here on this planet. And so um, I think, it's something that I, I struggle with too. I don't think it's about, you know, there's, I don't think, like you said, the idea in my head is always like, oh, there's this, this, this end result that I'm going to get. But the reality is it's just a journey. And I think, I think we just, we're a cup and the more we fill it up with, you know, goodness, then we're going to have more goodness to overflow and to give to others. But it's, we're never going to get it perfect. We're yeah. human. We're, we're just what in. Did you say we're never going to get it perfect? The, no. the perfection is never going to get it perfect? 
Well, that's a big breakthrough. Right now. <laughs> like that's that's a seminal moment in uh, the time I've known you. Um, but, but the second thing I want to really focus on, because to me, my personal interpretation of resiliency is that there is a formula, uh, and I think it's formulaic for all of us. That formula might be different. Yeah, it had different parts. But one of the things I heard from you was part of how you were able to overcome adversity and develop some resiliency in very seminal, seminal, moments of, seminal moments of your life is having a tribe, right? Uh, having a tribe that, you know, saw you for who you were, right? Were attracted to the authentic you, right? Knew you were worthy, believed in you, supported you no matter what, kind of unconditionally, regardless of whether you were the popular growth score or not, or being bullied or not. You know, and I see that you know, in your relationship with Gabe, you know, uh, I see that extraordinary support you guys have uh, for one another. And and I know that that him being part of your like her permanent tribe has you know supported you through the stuff you dealt with Mickey, you know, and other challenges you've, you know, you've, you've dealt with. You know, Mickey's one of, you know, the difficult things you've had to you know deal with. And I think it's easy for people to look at you and, you know, you're attractive, you're successful, you have a beautiful marriage, you know, you're a great mom. You know, you've created this global nonprofit to think, oh, you know, everything's been, you know, just fine. And, and that's why we're here to demit all of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think, really, you know, for me, having people understand that you know resiliency is within all of us, mm -hmm. right? And that when stuff comes up, because stuff is going to come up, you know, I. For me, you know, more, a lot of the stuff that came up as as a young person for me, you know, was forced on me, right? I had no control over it, right? My stepfather put in a gun on my head when I was 14 and forced me to leave the house at gunpoint because he was coked up and drunk and jealous of my relationship with my mom. And uh, he had his own issues, right, obviously, to do that to a 14-year-old, right? So that's something I didn't have control over. My dad leaving when I was two and starting multiple families after us and never once inquiring about us, you know, only for me to find him, you know, when I was 17, serving a 20 year term in state prison for drug trafficking. Wow. You know? and, and, and you told me the story and that, and I think that's the other thing is that is finding people that are so unlike you and have different backgrounds and, and different upbringings. I've been so attracted to, being friends with you because we come from such a different past. Can you tell us a little bit more, more about what it was like growing up for you? Uh, okay, I wasn't ready for that question. Uh, listen, I, there were moments um, of joy, you know, lots of moments of joy, you know, uh, playing baseball. You grew up in Miami, right? Growing up in Miami, you know, my dad left when I was two. And we were kind of alone, my mom, my sisters and I, you know, for a couple of years, uh, my mom had the support of her mom, my grandmother, Dulce, who was this tiny woman, maybe five foot one, maybe not even five foot one, who maybe weighed 95 pounds, but had the soul of a giant and the heart of a god, really, and uh, an incredible work ethic. And if you crossed her, the heaviest hands, uh, you know, you, you could ever feel, but... Um, <laughs> There was there's a lot of moments of joy and there's a lot of moments of feeling unsafe, mm -hmm. you know, and feeling alone and uh, uncared for. I remember one time 
I was doing a, a therapy session and it was a hypnosis part and they asked me to, she asked me to kind of envision what my father was like and literally it was me alone in the middle of this vast space uh, calling for help, you know, calling for my mom, calling for my dad, calling for help and no one answering. Uh, so I had moments of that, obviously, in my childhood, and I had moments of, you know, playing baseball and having my mom in the stands and, you know, having a you know a sister that I lived with, you know, in high school. I mean, she and I were living in high school together, and, you know, I wasn't alone. I, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we were abandoned by, you know, our, our, our mom, uh, but she and I were there for each other, as was my older sister, and, and helping us get the place and checking on us and, and a basketball coach that, you know, cared a great deal about me, but I would say there were moments of uh, joy and many moments of, you know, being alone and scared and feeling abandoned and, and wondering what I did, you know, to be abandoned and what I had done to earn, you know, having my stepfather put a gun to my head at that age, you know, and my mom staying with him, you know, after that uh, to kind of let us fend for ourselves, you know, um, but I, I, Looking back on my life, I, I think it was a huge source of accomplishment for me, meaning I used all of that to be driven. Like when I got to college, yeah. being told that I would never get to college by my you know, high school counselor, I got a 4.0, you know, I got really involved in campus organizations, I earned the honors program, I earned a full academic scholarship, I was political science student of the year, and that launched my political career, you know, very early on. So that drove me, right? Like being abandoned, feeling like I wasn't enough, drove me to be enough. Gabe says and that to me all the time. You know, he says, baby, you, you talk about your recovering perfectionism as, in a negative light all the time, but I see how it drove you and he says, served me so well in so many ways. I, in my mind, was like, I'm never, I'm gonna be the best at this and I'm gonna do some great things and then you're gonna, I didn't, I wasn't thinking this rationally, but I was. There was this part of me that I probably did recognize was, oh no, you don't. Like I am going. I'm going to be everything that you say that I won't be. Um, yeah. I know exactly how that feels. I think you utilize that and and took that all those pieces and parts, and it became this driving force. And I'm really attracted to people who do that. I mean, I just, it doesn't matter what, what they are in life. I don't care, but people I have found in my life, the people have been through the most devastating and we deal with this every day, seeing these families, mm -hmm. but they, they don't live in victim. They are, have so much hope and they work so hard and they keep trying. And I've always appreciated that about you, um, that you came from, you know, difficult, you know, upbringing. Um, although at the same time, I too look back and we have a tendency, I think, to think about the not so good things. But I think it's so important that you you can recognize the good stuff too, because I think we, stuff that can be traumatic. I have found I put it in a box, mm -hmm. and and you just label that box. But I think it's important to go and unpack it and and really acknowledge the good things because that shapes you. You know, both of them shape you. Yeah, I mean, like I had a stepfather that, you know, cared for me a ton, you know, and was the closest thing to a father that I ever had, you know, um, that relationship, you know, I think lasted five years, you know, before there were many other men who came through my life, you know, uh, not all good guys, 
But, uh, you know, he gave me an early, the earliest example of what a father was like. You know, I had a friend ask me the other day, like, you know, you didn't have a father. Like, how are you a dad to your kids? Like, who did you model? Because he said, I always had a great example. You know, mom, dad, my dad was a great man. He was very uh, present. He was supportive. He was calm. He taught me how to be a dad. Like, how did you learn that? And and I like I learned it kind of on my own a little bit, but but then kind of reflecting in this conversation, um, you know, Elio, which was my stepdad, really gave me the first glimpse of how to model that, right? And I've had you know friends throughout my life who've also helped me model that. So it hasn't been a a solo journey, but it. Uh, what was interesting for me was I, I went through all that stuff, you know, and it motivated me and it served to propel me and to you know, give me a tremendous work ethic and to like be bold, right? Running for office when I was 22, right? Unbelievable. Uh, a Hispanic kid, you know, in a, in a mostly white and, and in some cases, I know this is not politically correct, but redneck district, you know, uh, and, and a lot of folks didn't give me a chance in heck to win. And I, I won convincingly uh, because I worked my butt off and I learned the issues. I went door to door. I did everything that was necessary to... Uh, to learn, you know, how to win that election. Um, and then obviously I became a county commissioner and, and, and then I started feeling like a fraud, right? I started feeling like, how did I, like, how did a kid with my background uh, accomplish this? Like, I'm not qualified to be here. And this I hadn't dealt with all that negative stuff that I had put in a box, like you said, um, all of a sudden started kind of creeping up. I hadn't done the work. And I didn't have the emotional maturity. I didn't have the awareness of, wow, I really did need my dad's love. Oh, wow, like my mom leaving me when I was 15 did change the trajectory of my life, you know? And I hadn't dealt with that. I pushed that away and used accomplishment and drive and having a 4.0 and graduating summa cum laude and being in the honors program and all my community involvement to mask all of that. I didn't deal with it, right? So it started to surface and became kind of a path to self-destruction for me. Right? So when you talk about, you know, feeling like a fraud, like just speak into that, like, is it, cause I've seen a lot of people who self-sabotage. Um, yeah. I think we all do it in little bits and pieces. You sure. just happen to hire, the higher the office that, you know, the, yeah, the it was pretty public. <laughs> um, and so you have this fast trajectory in politics in, in Nevada. In, mm -hmm. in, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, speaking, they're saying that you're going to be, you know, possibly the next, you know, and the first, the next governor, the first Hispanic governor. This feeling of being a fraud, is that something that you rationally are thinking at the time or yeah, is you know, it? Yeah, yeah, that, that was, that's been, you know, after hours and hours and hours of, therapy uh so what is it that you're that how is that manifesting at that time it's manifesting in that i don't deserve to be here and because i don't deserve to be here i'm going to do something to not be here you know and it becomes almost like a cry for help like hey this little boy there's you know beyond the polished guy with a expensive suit and bright tie and you know the ability to give a speech there's this little boy that's hurt you know that uh that needed you know what he didn't get 
And in my, in my, in my case, you know, I confused, I was so yearning for acceptance and validation and love that I confused people who didn't have good intentions for me, you know, like they, like they really cared about me, you know? Well, and ironically, this is a, it's interesting. I don't know what it feels like to go that fast. And, um, but Gabe did run for office, my Mm -hmm. husband, um, it's probably about five years ago. Yeah. And he didn't win. And so I can relate to what you're saying about the, the loss of your congressional run and, and how devastating it was. It was really difficult for Gabe and challenging to see my husband who put his heart and soul in something and really wants to, you know, do great things, um, not reach that goal, which was the first time he's ever not reached a goal he set, which I'm sure you can relate. And running for office, the experience is unlike anything I've been through. And it is a machine. And it it is so amazing to me to see so many people who, you know, you're going to all these crab feeds and doing all this and they're patting on the back and and they seem like your friend. And the minute you run for office, it's the opposite. And you're on the, at least for our experience, we were running against the machine. So we are on the outs. And then the election's over, and then you're friends again. And there, and then people who weren't, you know, allies or then allies because of whatever, it was just such an, a, a surreal experience. And I just can't even imagine what it would have been like for you to have that much power and responsibility at, I mean, you they basically gave you the option, continue to law school or come run, right? And and yeah. so you ran, you're in office. I can't imagine. Now I see why Gabe didn't win. And there's so much that we've learned in that interim and, and so much foundational growth that we have because you have to have, for me, my experience is like our faith wasn't strong enough. You know, you're going to go through really challenging times that, that you're, you know, you're going to probably share about and you have to really know who you are and have integrity and have a, a, a backbone uh, of knowing what, what is right and wrong and what you're going to do. And, and then there's a lot of areas where you have to negotiate and, and maybe um, see another person's point of view. So. Speak into what that was like to have that much power at such a young age and, and having people come to you kind of, you're one of the guys, Dario, when you didn't have that at a young age. Yeah, it's, um, well, that's a lot there. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me take that in a couple of different parts. Uh, first, what it was like at 25, 26 to have that kind of power it was intoxicating, honestly, you know, and and I learned this, you know, after the fact, but I, you know, I, I was doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, you know, I mean, took a bribe from a strip club owner, right? Even though I didn't have any intention of really helping him, I, I told myself it was okay because I could remain objective, which was just not accurate. You know, you're, you're taking money, which is illegal in the first place, and then you rational. And then I was rationalizing it, you know. But but I was doing so many good things, you know, and serving my constituents and passing important policy proposals and 
changing the way that flood control was funded so that, you know, homeowners wouldn't be devastated every time there was a hundred year flood or a rainstorm here in Las Vegas, which happened pretty frequently. Um, or, you know, creating a metropolitan police department substation in a high crime area in my neighborhood when they told me it couldn't be done or, you know, creating a, a neighborhood park and recreation center when they told me no funding was available because- You start to justify in your own mind. Yeah, I, I, it's not a conscious thing, but yeah. like, I'm doing so many good things that if I do this over here, um, it's okay. And that's basically called null, you know, nullification, right? It's, it's, a, it's a criminal thinking error where you minimize the negative you're doing because you're doing so much good when in reality is it's still wrong and it still lacks integrity and i in many ways i did know better um and didn't do better and in some ways i didn't know better because i i couldn't stop myself from i didn't have my moral compass wasn't strong enough uh to be able to have the resolve uh, and a lot of people don't know this but when they first came to me the the strip club guys they offered me you know uh, a, a pretty big chunk of money. And the first time they came to me, I said, no. And the second time they came to me, I said, no. And the third time they came to me, I said, no. And the fourth time I said, yes, you know? Um, so I did know better. And then I let myself, you know, not do better, you know? And Underlying all of that was, you know, again, this 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 kid who, you know, was given a ton of responsibility, who could walk the walk, you know, look the part, uh, you know, negotiate with, you know, the the most tenured and seasoned politicians in Nevada, raise money as good as or if not better than most, you know, in Nevada. But underlying that was this scar that I had and this lack and this feeling of not being enough. Uh, for my mom's love or my dad's love that I was crying for help all the time, you know? Um, and, and that's the long way I'm saying, like, I, I still, it's not an excuse, right? I own those acts, right? I, I did know better. I didn't do better. Uh, and I was held accountable. I paid a huge price. I got sentenced to 30 months in federal, 50 months in federal prison, ended up serving 30 months in federal prison. And I had a lot of time to reflect, you know, in that, eight by eight foot cell with all my belongings in a two by six foot locker, right? Uh, a, a bunkie named Pops who was a meth addict and had a couple teeth and, you know, could snore like, you know, like no other person, you know. You but, go uh, from the top of the top yeah. to the bottom mm -hmm. in a jail cell. And did I remember us talking about this and um, I remember you saying that you had a sigh of relief yeah. because you felt that that at least at least now you were like you felt well. I shouldn't I shouldn't say what you said, but mm -hmm. I just remember you telling me you, you had this relief when you were there. Yeah, I had a piece about me because I could stop pretending, you know. Uh, like talking about it now, part of me felt like I belonged there more than I did. That's and, kind of what I was trying to get to say, and, but I didn't know how to say it. In the <laughs> arena, like I, this is more kind of how I feel about me and this is where I should be because, you know, what I did was wrong, right? And I got a chance to be held accountable, right? And I didn't continue to ascend and let that corruption I had within me 
you know, widen, that impact would have been even much, much more broad, you know, impact the family, impact the community, impact the state, impact the country, you know, so in many ways I was held accountable early on, you know, and, and was able to kind of have some reckoning, you know, relatively young, you know, um, my process took a long time. I got indicted multiple times, like superseding indictments, and it took a long time for the trial and, my stuff then when I was 24, 25, and I finally started serving in 2006, uh, excuse me, 2007. Oh, wow. So there's a long time of waiting. a big fan. There was five years, six and years. And that must be years. so much anxiety that comes with just... Yeah, and I knew, right? And I knew I had done those things. Um, and I lived in fear of someone finding out, you know? So when I got, you know, and, and I don't want to minimize, you know, this is incredibly important because... You know, my bad acts and me being sentenced, you know, was a source of huge pain, you know, for the mother of my kids. Uh, you know, my absence from my kids' life was felt by them, oh. you know, and and I, it makes me so sad to know that I wasn't there for them as their dad, you know, because of what I did. Um, on the other hand, you know, knowing that I didn't have to pretend anymore, I didn't have to hide anymore. Yeah, I could be held accountable for the things that I did, you know, and going back to like the, the formula of resiliency, I think acceptance, you know, ownership, acceptance is one of those things, one of those parts that are essential for resiliency. You know, you talked about tribe for me, you know, accepting responsibility, owning what I did and coming to terms with what I did and not blaming anyone else. You know, I totally agree. I think it, it is that's a part of the formula. And I think we make daily acts, you know, of of things that we may say or do or, or, or you know, and, and it, it doesn't even have to be an act. It could just be your we gave calls that you're come from, like mm -hmm. where you're coming from. Because you could say something and come from a good place, or you could say the same thing and come from a not good place, or right. you know, intentionality. Um, I think is is so important, but I, I agree. I think that the, the act of taking responsibility, accountability, um, you know, every single day I do it from, you know, just speaking to God and, you know, I'll think of something I said the day before or, or did. And I just, I own that. And I ask for forgiveness every single day yeah. for the little things that I may say or do and the things that I'm not even aware of that could hurt somebody or just not be, be kind. And I really, you know this, but as your friend and partner, I mean, I think your story is a story of redemption. And I have so much admiration for a, the fact that you took responsibility for it, which is what the system, you know, I think intends to do. It doesn't always yeah. go that way, but you took responsibility, you did your time. And then the, the story that is even more exciting is how you use that to drive the social good that you do now. And I thought when you, when we sat down and we knew each other, you know, for a while and you were working on our social media for our nonprofit and I just saw how you engage. I remember going to Las Vegas and um, you set up a whole bunch of meetings for um, the work that we're doing in legislation and for, for epilepsy and fundraising. And I just watched how you engage with all these people 
that were pretty powerful in the Las Vegas area. And I remember sitting down with you, knowing your story, but of course, as we got to know each other, we got into more details about it. And I said, so tell me why, and I want you to share this with our audience, tell me why all those people have respect for you after the fact that you went to jail and did all these things. Why do they treat you that way? Because it was beyond being respectful. Like they had, they admired you. I saw this kind of adoration, not in a, um, not in a negative way, but in a, in a loving way. And I really, I just was observing it and I asked you why and tell me what you said. Well, I, I think part of, I don't remember exactly what I said, but the feeling was that, you know, I, I took ownership. Exactly. You know, I accepted responsibility. Um, there were other people who were involved in that case who, you know, blamed others or, you know, didn't accept responsibility. You know, I made it a point to make it right with my kids, mm-hmm. you know, and God knows I need work there still. And at that well, time, you know, needed, you know, more work. And, but I, I took responsibility. I kept my head down. I came back and worked hard. I mean, my first job when I got out was selling printing. That's what you told me. And my transportation. Said, what you do? You're like, I didn't have, I had a bike. I got a bike. Yeah, I had a bike and I was riding bike, you know, through, you know, the strip basically in the middle of summer in Las Vegas, which can be warm uh, <laughs> and, and having to, you know, deal with people saying, Oh, you're that guy that just got out of prison. You know, no, we don't want to do business with you. Yeah, and Dario Herrera is not, a, uh, you know, that name is, is kind of different. It's not it's like Joe Smith. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not Joe Smith. Yeah. Um, it's not a lot of names, but uh you know, it um, it came down to that. You know, I, I came home. I, I worked diligently and I'm repairing, you know, the relationship with my children. Uh, I owned what I did. Uh, I paid off my fine. I paid my restitution. I was very diligent about all of that. And, and even with all of that, you know, when they treated me that way, I still believed I didn't deserve it. Why? Because I still, you know, had this struggle with not forgiving myself. Right. And I still knew that I had like with my youngest son, the relationship isn't what it is with my older two children. You know, I knew that I had to repair that, you know, and and hadn't taken the steps to really make that relationship what it should be as a father, you know, and and other things in my life, you know, relationally. Right. Not being authentic in my relationships, not being completely loyal in my relationships, you know, struggling with the truth still. You know, I was I still had some of those things that were a part of me. So even though they looked at me that way, I still had that underlying, oh, I don't deserve this. And a, rem- and a reminder that if only they knew, right? If only they knew. This is, I mean, you're now about, yeah. about to be 48 because you're one month from, from yeah. Gabe's birthday, but exactly. So you're about to be 48 and you, and you did your time at what age were you, 27 when you went in? I was, no, a little bit older than that. I was 33, I think. Um, oh, okay. So 14 years ago, yeah, 33. Okay, so this has been a long time since then. It's been, it's been a journey, you know. So the other thing you said was that I just helped people. So when you came out, you just went, not only did your time, not only paid your restitution and, and did all the things to make amends and start a, start a whole new life, but you just started helping people, Yeah. Um, which is something that, 
we connect on just serve mm -hmm. it. I mean, yeah. underlying all this, when you run for office, I want to think that every politician is this way. I'm not saying that they are, but yeah. you have a, a desire to serve the greater mm -hmm. good. And when we connected and, and, you know, we interviewed you to do the social media and marketing for Mickey's miracles, we really connected that you had a son on the autism spectrum and you understood what it was like to have a special needs child. And, I remember you being emotional about me telling you our story and I've seen you in action being a social good entrepreneur and, and making it your mission to help organizations specifically that are on a mission um, greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. What do you feel, what, what is it that you feel the steps that you've taken since coming out of the system that you've taken to forgive yourself because my experience for you is that you know we've had a couple instances where people have asked and i get again super loyal and defensive of you and you're you're just very zen about it and like this is the reality i'm you know of what happened and and you you're at peace with it and it seems that you have forgiven yourself and moved on and understand that that's maybe this was your story all along you know maybe yeah, maybe I, I think the level of peace depends. Uh, that's fluid and dynamic. You know, sometimes I'm much harder on myself about it. Uh, and other times I'm much more forgiving, you know, uh, towards myself uh, about it. But I mean, the facts are the facts, right? I did the time. I did the crime. I did the time. You know, I deserve to be held accountable. Um, and and when I came home, I didn't want that to be my final chapter. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered, you know, as uh, a loving father. You know, I want to be remembered as a, a faithful, loving, supportive husband. You know, I want to be remembered as someone who, you know, cares about others more than he cares about himself. I want to be remembered as a giver, not a taker. I want to be remembered as someone that uh, is generous and kind and humble. You know, the word humble in me hasn't been used, you know, uh, a lot, you know, and, and I'm working, I'm still working on that. It's still a struggle for me, you know, even with all I've been through, you know, the meteoric downfall, the criticisms, the failures, you know, I still struggle with humility, you know, uh, and that comes from overcompensation, it doesn't come from arrogance. It comes from feeling like I have to do more and be more because, you know, of that underlying lack feeling that, I, that I've had for most of my life. But um, what drives me is making life easier for someone else. You know, that's, there's a lot of power in that, you know, and I think that's another part of that formula, right? Uh, we've talked about, you know, having that tribe, you know, that, that believes in you no matter what. Well, and you've gone and, back and you speak to, yeah. go into the prison system and you, you speak on this and you enlighten um, those that are still serving on, you know, that there's, there's a bright side on the other side of being there. Yeah. It's a speech called stand up, right. And stand up's an acronym. Um, and S is stop telling yourself stories that no longer serve you. And T is trust that if you do the next right honest thing, everything's going to be okay. A is accept responsibility and is never give up. D is drive forward. U is understand that no matter how much you change, there are going to be people out there who don't like you, don't think you've changed, still think you're the same guy, and you yeah. got to be okay with that. You got to make peace with it. And the P is persevere, like every day, you know, take a step every single day, you know. And there's days where I've taken ten steps back, 
right? And there's days where I've taken 100 steps forward, right? And and keep moving that with, you know, with resiliency, you know? And uh, it's um, it's going to be fun. I, I have to say, like, this is this has been very kind of enlightening for me about you. And I'm so and, excited. You know, like, I, I didn't expect to have to answer these questions, but I, I appreciate them because it makes sense. <laughs> Well, I'm excited because I want people to understand and see who you really are, who I see every day. And you are humble. And, you know, you know, it's pride for you and perfectionism for me, buddy. So that's maybe that's the P and the P and pop. But um, I think we're both here to say and to show that we all have faults and we all have parts of ourselves that aren't pretty. And um, I think the important part is to um, see that, do the best you can to be aware of those parts of yourself and make a true effort to do the right thing every day that you can and find purpose every day of your life um, for greater good, for the uh, for others. And um, I've just appreciated being your partner, as Mickey calls you, hey, partner. And the girl, Nikki, um, it's just been awesome to be in partnership. And th- this podcast really came from your story. And this mm-hmm. is, I'm so inspired by your story. And I think others will be inspired too. Um, and, and so I'm just really honored that we can do this and that you've um, taken my request. And mm-hmm. now we get to share with others and you want to tell you just speak really quickly on on what it'll look like to come you know as we move forward yeah i I, first of all thank you uh you've been incredibly gracious and i appreciate uh your support and gabe's support you know i want to acknowledge him he's a great man and is really a, a great example to me about you know how good men live their lives you know i i admire him so much for that and uh you know, what's going to look like is going to be a conversation. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be, uh, in some ways, conflicting. It's going to be creative. Uh, and it's going to be real, right? It's going to be real. And we're going to have guests, you know, that uh, some guests have accomplished incredible things and have overcome huge adversity and, and have done so through resilience to, you know, accomplish some great things. And we're going to talk to people who, you know, maybe haven't overcome that resilience, you know, or that adversity, uh, to accomplish what they're capable of. So it, it, it's going to be really what our audience wants it to be. And I, I want I, that's an invitation to say, like, please, you know, leave your comments for us. Uh, let us know what resonated with you, what didn't resonate. Uh, if you have a specific question, if you have a topic, if you have a specific guest you want us to reach out to, uh, it's really important for this to be interactive. And, and this is here to serve you, our audience, right? And to, you know, I'll share, obviously, part of my experience and Christy will share hers and and what we think is, you know, are the necessary steps to develop resiliency as we overcome adversity. Uh, but ultimately, this is to serve you and to remind you that you have everything you need within you to overcome any challenge that's put in front of you. Um, if we can only give you one message, one central takeaway from this podcast, it's that you have everything within you to overcome whatever challenge is put in front of you, whether it's a self-imposed challenge or a challenge that's been put in front of you by someone else, you are perfectly capable of overcoming that adversity and through resiliency, you know, achieving what you want to achieve. And 
with that, uh, we yeah, welcome. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, please, again, leave your comments uh, below. Uh, Christy, thank you. And until next time, uh, we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Thank you.